Hello friends, Tom here. From wherever you are tuning in, I want to welcome you. We are now in week four in our series, Teach Us to Fast, where we have been exploring the rewards of biblical fasting. Now, if you've been with us, you know that we have uh, been really kind of simple in our definition of what fasting is, biblically speaking, um, but I think thorough. And we've said that, that fasting is more than just not eating. Now, that's dieting or starvation at the worst, but fasting is foregoing food to feast on God. It's this idea of, of recognizing that we're more than just physical beings with a body that has an appetite. We are spiritual beings as well with a spirit and a spiritual appetite. And that we, we, we look to God to, 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 to satisfy the deepest hungers of our lives. Like we need him, we depend on him, similarly to the way that we need and depend on food, but much more so is our dependence and our need for God. So this idea of fasting, foregoing food to feast on God. Now listen, uh, I'm so glad that you're joining us and everything, but if you have not listened to the very first message in this series, I think it's entitled The Rewards of Biblical Fasting. If you haven't tuned into that message, I want to encourage you, stop this right now, go back and listen to that one first. What we did was we laid a foundation for what biblical fasting is, that it's necessary, that it's important. We give you practical tips on how to engage in biblical fasting. It, it's, it's vital for this, the rest of this series to make sense. Uh, you got to kind of tune into that one. So I want to encourage you, if you have not, go do that. Pause this. You can come back to this one later. Uh, week one is really important. Now, what we've been doing in this series is each week, We've been exploring different examples of fasting that we see in the scriptures, okay? So examples of, of men and women fasting for different reasons, for, for, for different agendas, if you will. And then after we've explored the, the, the different topic for that week, the different agenda that we see in the scripture for that week, we then practice fasting together as a church for that same specific agenda. Okay, so so far we have fasted for revival and awakening, uh, this idea of mass repentance inside the church and mass repentance outside the church. And by repentance, I mean turning away from sin and towards God. We want to see that happen inside the church on a big scale. We want to see that outside the church on a big scale. So we fasted for that. Last week's message Herrick Berga, the incomparable Herrick Berga, did an outstanding job of kind of laying this, this idea before us of fasting for health and healing, uh, emotional healing, uh, spiritual healing, physical healing even. And I think he did a fantastic job. If you haven't listened to that message, I highly encourage it. Now this week, what we're going to do this week is we're going to explore an Old Testament story where the people of God, they fast for the purpose of solving a problem. When I was a senior in high school, my parents graciously, generously, they helped me buy my first car. A 1997 white Ford Ranger pickup truck. Okay, this was like back in the day when, when pickup trucks weren't like massive, even like, like mid-sized pickups. Now you see a mid-sized pickup and it's huge. This was back in the day when it was like they were smaller. I loved this truck. I loved it. It was, it was a manual transmission, right? So it wasn't an automatic. You had to shift the gears and everything. I had a, obviously it's a truck, so I had a bed in the back where I could put, I was in a band and I, and I did a lot of stuff with music, so I could put all my gear in the back and take it all over the place and it was just such a like, I don't know, it was such a great car. It was a great first car. And uh, I remember the independence that it provided. I remember, um, I don't know, I just remember the joy of being a, honestly, a teenager. I was 17. I remember being a teenager and just like feeling 
I don't know, feeling alive driving around uh, in, my, in my white Ford Ranger. And I remember a specific time where I'm, I'm driving around town, windows are down, you know, it's like summertime and I'm like cruising, I'm cool. You know, I'm an adolescent, I'm, I have all this teen angst and I'm just cool in my car, right? And I'm cruising around in my Ranger and all of a sudden something happens. You see, if you're familiar with a manual transmission, you know that you have to manually shift the gear. So you push in the clutch with usually your left foot, right? You push in the clutch with your left foot, you let off the gas with your right foot and you shift your gears and then you, let, you release the clutch so that the gears grab and then you push back on the accelerator pedal again, okay? If you've, if you've ever driven a manual transmission, you know exactly what I'm talking about. So I'm just driving, I'm doing just that. And as I go, as I shift the gears and I, and I release the clutch and I go to press on the accelerator pedal again, the accelerator pedal blink, it breaks. Like when I say it breaks, it's not just that it doesn't work, it snaps like off of the vehicle. Like it, there's a metal part that's holding the pedal. That metal part just snapped off and now my accelerator pedal is laying on the floorboard of my car. And so I kind of, I'm like, what just happened? I obviously cannot drive if, I, if my accelerator pedal is laying on the floor. So I, you know, I, I slow down and I, and I make my way to the side of the road and I'm stuck. I can't drive, my accelerator pedal is broken. And keep something in mind, this is before cell phones, okay? I'm, I can't just call someone with my cell phone, I don't have one. And I remember thinking, like, what do I do? What am I gonna do now? I'm stranded and I have no idea how to fix this. You see, it's unexpected problems just like this one that I shared with you that are supremely frustrating, okay? Why? Because we wanna live comfortable lives. We wanna live problem-free lives. And hear me say this, desiring to live a life free of problems is not bad. If anything, it's, it's evidence that at a heart level, we recognize something. We recognize that things are not the way that they're supposed to be. You see, we live in a world full of sin. You don't need me to tell you this, but it's true. We live in a world full of sin and the brokenness that sin causes. Sin results in death and decay in division and in destruction, brokenness of every kind, okay? Brokenness of our bodies, brokenness of our relationships, even brokenness of silly little stupid accelerator pedals. Because of sin, we live in a world that is not the way it's supposed to be, friends. It's a world full of problems. Some big problems, some small problems, some problems that alter your day, some problems that severely alter your life. And you know this, we know this. Yet, even though we know this to be true, we are still shocked when problems arise. Now I know that many of you tuning into this, you are facing some significant problems. Significant problems like relationally, maybe in your business, some significant financial problems, maybe some COVID related problems. When we face significant problems in life that need a solution, when we are metaphorically stuck on the side of the road and we don't know what to do, hear me say this, fasting 
can be of tremendous help to us. So that's what we're going to talk about today. Go ahead and grab your Bible if you have one close by. We're going to be in Ezra chapter 8. Before I jump into reading the scriptures, I'm going to pray. So will you pray along with me from wherever you are? Father, thank you for the opportunity for us to learn from your word. And our desire, Lord, is not to just like uh, obtain knowledge. Um, Our desire really is to be closer to you. To not just learn things about you, but to be close to you as a result. And our desire, Father, in this whole series of of learning to fast, um, God, we want to be close to you. It's this idea of feasting on you taking you in, being in closer and closer relationship with you. So would you help us? Would you teach us, Holy Spirit? Would you help me to honor and bless uh, the people tuning into this? I don't want to do anything that gets in the way of what you want to do, what you want to accomplish. So would you help me? Would you help us? Would you bless us right now? We need you. Thank you, Spirit, for your goodness. Amen. Okay, so what I want to do really quick before we start reading the passage is I kind of want to set the stage for what we're about to read. Okay, I want to give you some background. The the book of Ezra, we're going to be in the book of Ezra, it tells the story of the Jews, the Israelites, the Jewish people, right? Them traveling back to Jerusalem after being in captivity in Persia, in Babylon, okay? And the king of Persia, King Cyrus, what he does is he actually kind of miraculously gives permission to the Jews to go back to Jerusalem for the purpose of rebuilding the temple, the, the, the dwelling place of Yahweh, the, the, the Lord, uh, our God, okay? So he gives them permission to go back to Jerusalem to rebuild this temple. And what happens is, is one of these groups of Jews goes back to Jerusalem, okay? So they've already returned and things didn't go so well. So Ezra, he's a, he's a priest, he's a leader. And what happens is, is he attempts to then lead a second group of Jews back to join the other group in Jerusalem, okay? So what he does is he gathers this group on the banks of the Ahava River, and when he does, he realizes that he has a problem, okay? He's about to lead all of these people with all of their possessions and wealth through the wilderness back to Jerusalem. And listen, the wilderness was a dangerous place. Let me read you a quote from Elmer Towns. He says this, commenting on this passage we're about to read. Quote, Ezra needed protection as he led a multitude of defenseless people across the wilderness to return to the promised land. That's Jerusalem, right? To build the temple. The badlands were inhabited with gangs of thieves who attacked caravans. Many Jews had grown wealthy in captivity. Those who remained back in captivity sent treasures with Ezra to rebuild the temple. These Jews were required to send along gold and silver for rebuilding the temple. Ezra was transporting their money and many of their possessions, end quote. Okay, so what I want you to do is I want you to imagine carrying, I don't know, millions of dollars through an area where there are people who are looking to rob you and hurt you and take from you what you possess, okay? That's essentially what's happening here. And it's like, what is Ezra gonna do when he's faced with this? He's gathered these people and he's like, okay, we're about to make this journey. What are we gonna do? This is where we pick up the story, okay? Ezra chapter eight, starting in verse 21. We're gonna read through 34. I'm I'm gonna read a little bit, talk a little bit, but track with me. Starting in Ezra chapter eight, 
verse 21 says this. I, Ezra, proclaimed a fast. There's that word, fast. Fasting. I proclaimed a fast by the Ahava River so that we might humble ourselves before our God and ask him for a safe journey for us, our dependents, and all our possessions. I did this because I was ashamed to ask the king, King Cyrus, for infantry and cavalry to protect us from enemies during the journey, since we had told him, the hand of our God is gracious to all who seek him, but his fierce anger is against all who abandon him. Pause for a second. Okay, so Ezra, he doesn't want to ask King Cyrus for like military protection to go through the wilderness because of what Ezra told King Cyrus about God, that God takes care of his people. Okay, so, so Ezra is facing this problem and he's like, how are we going to get through this dangerous area without protection? He doesn't want to ask the king because he doesn't want to make God look bad. Okay, so keep going. Verse 23, so we fasted and pleaded with our God about this, and he was receptive to our prayer. Pause again. The entire group of Israelites fast and pray. They, 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 they cry out to God. They look to him, and what happens? God responds with a, with a solution to their problem. Here's what it is. Verse 24. I selected 12 of the leading priests, along with Sherebiah, Hashabiah, and 10 of their brothers. I weighed out to them the silver, the gold, and the articles, the contribution for the house of our God that the king, his counselors, his leaders, and all the Israelites who were present had offered. I weighed out to them 24 tons of silver, silver articles weighing 7,500 pounds, 7,500 pounds of gold, 20 gold bulls with a thousand gold worth a thousand gold coins and two articles of fine gleaming bronze as valuable as gold. Okay, really quickly pause. Biblical scholars agree this is the equivalent of millions of dollars today. Okay, so they are they're rolling with some serious cash here. Keep going, verse 28. Then I said to them, You are holy to the Lord, and the articles are holy, holy, different, set apart, right? The silver and gold are a free will offering to the Lord God of your ancestors. Guard them carefully until you weigh them out in the chambers of the Lord's house before the leading priests, Levites, and heads of the Israelite families in Jerusalem. So the priests and Levites took charge of the silver, the gold, and the articles that had been weighed out to bring them to the house of our God in Jerusalem. Okay, pause again. What Ezra does here is incredibly wise. What he does is he weighs and he divides all the gold and silver among the other priests, okay, the people that are with him. This accomplishes two things, two important things. Okay, the first thing that this accomplishes, the, the weighing of the gold and silver and the dividing of the gold and silver. It accomplishes this first. Ezra realized that part of his caravan, it could be attacked. Okay, robbers could come in and attack. Thieves could come in and, 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 and part of their caravan could be lost. So... The, the, the dividing up of the, the gold and the silver, this ensured that some of the gold and silver would still make its way to Jerusalem if they were to get attacked, if, they were to, if, the, if the thieves were to come and some of the people with the resources were to be lost. So in other words, even if some were kind of lost to thieves, not all of it would be. Now listen, not only does Ezra's plan protect from thieves outside of the caravan, but also with, from within. Okay, 
The second thing that this accomplishes, the we talked about the, the, the dividing of the gold and silver among the priests. He also said it, it also says that he weighed it all, every single ounce of the gold and silver. Okay? It says that he weighs every piece of gold and silver before he divides it among the priests. What does this do? This ensures that if any of it's missing, okay, he knows exactly who is responsible. So in other words, if, if anybody who's been entrusted to some of the, the gold and the silver decides like, you know what, like they feel tempted and they want to kind of keep a little bit for themselves, this ensures that if that happens, it won't go unnoticed. You see, Ezra and the people, they're faced with this pretty big problem, okay? And they fast, and they look to God for a solution, and God provides incredible wisdom to them. Let's keep going. Verse 31 says this, We set out from the Ahava River on the twelfth day of the first month to go to Jerusalem. And it says this, We were strengthened by our God and he kept us from the grasp of the enemy and from ambush along the way. So not only did God provide the wisdom that they needed to solve their, to solve their problem, he also provided protection. Let's keep going. Verse 32. We're almost done here. So we arrived at Jerusalem and rested there for three days. On the fourth day, the silver, the gold, and the articles were weighed out in the house of our God into the care of the priest Merimoth, son of Uriah. Eliezer, son of Phinehas, was with him. The Levites, Josabad, son of Yeshua, and Noadiah, son of Benani, <clears throat> were also with them. Everything was verified by number and weight, and the total weight was recorded at that time. Okay, here's what I want you to see, friends. I want you to see the order with which some of this stuff took place, okay? Ezra and the people, they faced this big problem, and what did they do? They looked to God. They looked to him, and they relied on him to solve the problem. Okay, they fasted, they prayed, and then they acted. You see, the order is important. How often do we reverse this? I think about my life. How often do I act and then look to God instead of looking to God, relying on him, and then acting based on what I receive from him. How often do we reverse that? And in the process, we rely on our own wisdom, our own strength, our own ability. Friends, what we see here is the absolute opposite of that. We see the people of God in a time of need looking to him before they act. What is that? That's a demonstration of faith. It's a demonstration of, of trusting in God. And then what happens? God honors that in a really big way. It's all about who we look to and when. They looked to God first and they acted second. So friend, when you're facing a really big problem that you cannot fix, what do you do? So there I am. I am stuck on the side of the road with this, <clears throat> with this broken accelerator pedal. It's laying on the floorboard of my Ranger pickup truck. I couldn't fix the problem. I didn't have a cell phone. I didn't, <clears throat> I didn't have the, the wisdom or the knowledge or the tools even to fix the situation. But incredibly, right down the street was a mechanic 
No joke, like, like a shop where someone fixes cars. Providentially, I had access to someone with the knowledge, with the wisdom, with the resources to help solve the problem. Friends, don't you see? To be a Christian is to be a child of God. To be God's child. It means you have intimate access to the wisest, greatest problem solver of all time in the history of the world, okay? This is the God who solved the greatest problem that ever was and ever will be, the problem of sin. And the brokenness that sin causes, God in his, in his infinite wisdom, he figured out a way to destroy sin without destroying the sinner. It's the gospel, it's the good news. Our sin, what it does is it, it separates us from God, it separates us from each other, it destroys, it destructs. Our sin separates us from God and we're incapable of fixing the problem. So, God does for us what none of us could do for ourselves. Friends, God hates sin. He hates it. Because he's loving and because he's just, sin must be punished. God does for us what we could never do for ourselves. He takes the punishment for our sin upon himself. And he offers forgiveness that we don't deserve. And not only does he offer us forgiveness, he offers us a new life, a new way of living now and forever, a life with him. It's the greatest act of love that has ever been and ever will be. It's, 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 it's a transforming grace that transforms a sinner into a son or a daughter and thus allows God to clothe us in the righteousness, the perfect record of Jesus, and get rid of, destroy sin without destroying the sinner. He's brilliant. He's wise, all wise, all powerful. There's no one like him. This is the God who can solve even the biggest problem of sin. So friends, imagine... Imagine how foolish I would have been if I had not sought the mechanic's help in that situation. Why on earth wouldn't we be people who look to God for help with the problems that we face? The answer to that question, the only answer for not looking to God is that we don't need him. And friends, the person who doesn't need God is the person who is blind to their sin and their sin's consequences. And hear me say this, that is the most dangerous place that a person can be. I love the story that we just read. Because Ezra, he looks to God first. Before he acts, he looks to God first. He sought God through prayer and fasting. He had a big problem and he sought him through prayer and fasting. And the result was, God provided him with the wisdom to solve the problem. The same can be true of us in every single day of our lives, no matter what the problem is, big or small. I'll close with this. Here's what I want to do. I want to invite you to join me and my wife in fasting again this week, specifically for the agenda to solve a problem, okay? And like I said, I am, I'm, I'm aware 
of many of the problems that so many of you are facing. And I'm sure that there, I'm certain that there are also problems that I'm not aware of that you're facing. So whatever problem you're facing, whether it's a personal problem, whether it's a relational problem, it's whether it's in your family or it's a friend or it's marriage or it's parenting, there are tons of relational problems out there. Maybe it's a COVID related problem. Maybe there's a problem in business or a, or a financial problem or a logistical problem. It could be anything, okay? Identifying a problem that you're facing. Here's a big one for our church right now, a big problem that we're facing. We have not gathered to worship together on a Sunday morning for seven months. I hate this. I'm, yeah, I'm, <laughs> this is really hard. This is not the way it's supposed to be. But here's where we find ourselves in this, in this season, facing this problem. We haven't gathered together in seven months. And gathering together is important. It's vital for the, for the life of a healthy disciple, a child of God, to offer him primarily, to offer him praise and to be together while we do it. He's worth our worship together. Um, you know, we've been gathering at Margarita Middle School for years now. We love our relationship with Margarita Middle School. We love the staff. Uh, we, 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 we love the opportunities we have to serve the students and the staff alike. We, it's a great situation. We love being there. But... We, we have no idea how all this is going to shake down. We have no idea if or when we'll ever be able to get back into the gathering space. God willing, we'll be able to get back in there soon, but we have no idea. So, so hear me say this. In addition to whatever personal problem you are facing, I would love for you to join me in fasting to solve the problem of not having a space to worship together on Sunday morning. Uh, here's what we need. Frankly, this is where we're at. <clears throat> we need a space that is indoors that can safely accommodate our entire church. And by our enti entire church, I mean adults and children. Okay, God has been very, uh, very kind and gracious to us to bless our church family with a, <laughs> a lot of children. Okay, and that, that, that can be very challenging because children aren't, the, aren't always the easiest to, to deal with. But, but not only is it challenging, but it's an incredible, it's an incredible blessing. We have, the, we have the amazing opportunity to, 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 to disciple these precious children, to show them the beauty and glory of God, to teach them to enjoy, obey, and operate like Jesus in every area of life while we're learning the same thing. So the, the kids are an amazing blessing. We need a safe place to accommodate both, both adults and children, several classrooms, a larger area, a larger room for us to gather in. That's kind of the, the need. And in addition to that, we also need something that's going to fit into our budget. Okay, so so the practicalities we need to be indoors. We need a, we need a space that will accommodate our entire our entire church, both adults and children, and something that would fit within our budget. That's the problem that we're facing. Okay, so so I'll end with this. I want to give you some really practical tips. This will take me like two minutes. Okay. I want to give some really practical tips for those of you that'll, that'll be engaging in fasting to solve a problem this week. Okay? First thing you want to do, list all the factors at play. Okay? So for the problem that you are facing, list all the different factors. Okay? So an example for the, the, the problem that we're facing as a church of not having a gathering space for Sunday mornings, we don't just need a space. We need a specific space that can accommodate our entire church, adults and kids, right? So there's different factors. It's not just a space. It's a, it's a specific type of space, okay? The second practical tip for you, press in, man. Actually fast and pray. Like actually forego food to feast on God, engage with him, 
seek him, look to him in an ongoing way. Again, we're foregoing food to feast on God. Okay, so we're looking to him for wisdom. And in the process of that, we're evaluating all of those factors and we're doing that with him. Engaging with him as we evaluate all those factors. So we're, we're searching the scriptures for insight and for wisdom. Okay, continuously. The next thing, the next practical tip for you, write down all the possible solutions that you can think of. Okay, even the silly ones, even the ones that seem kind of out of left field, write them down. Even the ones you're like, that's a bad one. Write them all down, uh, collect all of them. Think of it kind of like as, as brainstorming with God. Okay? And then finally, prayerfully choose the best solution for whatever you're facing. Okay? Hear me say this. Not always, but rarely is there a perfect solution to every problem. Just because there's not a perfect solution doesn't mean you don't move forward. Okay, we seek him, right? We look to God first and then we act. <clears throat> Rarely is there a perfect, a perfect solution. Choose the best solution and then act. Don't wait for the perfect one. Choose the best one and then act after you've sought the Lord. Remember, the order there is important. We don't act and then seek him. We seek him and then we act. Remember, Ezra and the Israelites, they look to God first and they acted second. So, I want to invite you to join me. Again this week, a 24-hour fast sometime this week to solve a problem that you're facing. So, I want to pray for us. Will you join me? Father, you really are the greatest problem solver ever. You, you made a way to get rid of sin without getting rid of the sinner. That's the story of my life. That's the grand narrative that you've written on creation, and it's incredible. You are in the process of redeeming all things. You're infinitely wise, infinitely powerful, and you've made yourself continuously available to us in your grace, in your patience, and in your faithful love. So in recognizing who you are and who you say that we are, God, we look to you now. We ask you, teach us to fast. Teach us to engage in this profound spiritual discipline or, or, or focusing not just on, on who we are as a physical being, but who we are spiritually, that we're a spiritual being and we need you. We hunger for you. There are things that we face that are bigger than us. And if we believe the lie that we can face them on our own, we are deceived. So would you help us? We know that you will. We look to you now. Show us the way. Teach us. Help us, God. Thank you for being kind. Thank you for always being available, for being faithful in your love. And thank you for your grace that solved our greatest problem that we face. And that is the problem of sin, Satan, and death. You win. And we get to share in that victory. So thank you. We praise you, God. And we ask these things in the name of your son, Jesus. Amen. Friends, I really am looking forward to fasting together this week and watching God in the ways that he reveals himself to us. So know that I love you. Grace and peace to you. And we'll see you soon.